1: first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? You think you had the last laugh. Now, you know this can't be true. Even though the sun shines down upon you now, sometimes you must feel blue. You make them best of each new day. You try not to be sad. Even though the sky falls down upon you, call it midnight, feeling bad. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot Song by Song, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today is a fellow Lightfoot fan from Pickering, Ontario, Lee McCormick. Lee, welcome to the show.
0: How are you doing, Mike? Good to be here.
1: It's Great to have you. How did you first get into Lightfoot's music?
0: It's through my father. It's absolutely through my father, 100%. I was raised with a lot of music around me, and Gordon Lightfoot was one of my father's favorite artists. So those records were prevalent. As soon as I was born, I was listening to Gordon Lightfoot records. My dad had about 10 of his records, uh, Gord's Gold, Summertime Dream, Old Dance Records, Don Quixote, these great records, right? And he would put them on on a Friday night, have a couple of beers, and I would be sitting there right with him. And he'd be enjoying the tunes and telling me about Gordon Lightfoot. And as I was getting older, I was being able to understand the lyrics that this guy was writing and singing about Canada and all that stuff. And it was just beautiful. It was just brilliant, you know? So I was a big fan and my father was a big part of turning me into a Gordon Lightfoot fan, you know?
1: Totally. And my dad had the same kind of influence on me. Now you being Canadian, it probably resonated for you even more for those of us down in the States who are listening to it. What do you like about Lightfoot's music generally?
0: I can say about two things. Uh, number one is songwriting, right? In my mind, he's in the top three or four songwriters ever to me, you know, I got I love Springsteen, I love uh, Neil Young, I love Steve Earle. I put Gordon Lightfoot right up there in in the top five songwriters of all time. The way he's able to paint a picture in your mind with his lyrics, blending blending nature in with uh, emotion, right? It's it's very Canadian. Like if you listen to Neil Young, Blue Rodeo, some of our Canadian songwriters. Gordon Lightfoot is at the top there, and he's very Canadian sounding. The other thing I love about Gordon Lightfoot is is his guitar playing, actually, right? I'm a musician myself, drummer, and a guitarist. And as I was learning guitar, I would love to play along the Gordon Lightfoot songs, right? It was a few years before it clicked the capo. Gordon Lightfoot uses a capo on the second fret or the third fret, right? So I was trying to learn these Gordon Lightfoot songs from songbooks where they would have the chords written out, but a lot of the old songbooks were incorrect in that they didn't take into account that he's always. On the second or third fret with the capo, right? So I'm playing these songs with these chords and it just didn't work. And then I, I think I saw some videos and I was like, oh yeah, the capo. And I learned about the capo and it totally opened up a whole new world for me the way he plays guitars, even the way he voices some of his chords, right? Like I got my guitar right here. So as an example, you think of a standard E chord, like that standard E chord, Gordon Life would play his E chord differently. He would kind of, the top note, he would kind of put that sort of ring on there right so you think of like sundown
1: and for my listeners lee's got a capo on the second fret i think it's the second fret i can't see it is the second fret yeah
0: yeah so you go through his catalogs and it's either the second or third fret like you want to play early morning rain canadian railroad trilogy those are third fret songs but most of it's going to be in the second fret right so so that just opened up a whole world of guitar playing to me right and uh I just think lightfoot's a great guitar player like acoustic guitar the way he would go between his six string finger picking and then the 12 string guitar where he would play the idea the, uh, with the pick kind of stuff right so uh you know that was just maybe a huge fan too and, and learning his songs and as i was becoming a musician made me endeared me more towards lightfoot you know
1: the finger picking i think about Paul Simon, John Denver, Stephen Stills also comes to mind. And I think about Lightfoot, they're that versatile on guitar. And I think Lightfoot is as good as anyone ever. How many times have you seen Lightfoot live?
0: Uh, I was thinking about that before we started talking here, Mike. And I think I'm up, it's about 10, 9 or 10 times, all Toronto shows. I've seen about uh, 8 or 9 of those have been at Massey Hall. right? And so what he would do is, the 90s I saw, Let I made a list here. The first time I saw it was 93. People have heard about the legendary Lightfoot Massey Hall shows, right? He would play Massey Hall in Toronto almost every 18 months, religiously since the 60s kind of thing. That's his kind of home. It's his kind of favorite place to play. He always talks about how great it sounds there. So seeing Lightfoot in Massey Hall is the ultimate, if you're a fan. right? Totally,
1: yeah. It's the house that Gord built.
0: Yeah, so my dad had seen him in the 70s. I was too young to go. So uh, 93, he was doing another run at Massey Hall. Back then, he would do six shows. He would do like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the following week, another Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? So for a while there, I would try to hit two shows on each of those runs. So the first time I saw him was uh, March 18th, 93, and March 20th, 93. He was doing the, uh, on the Waiting for You tour. Now, in between there, somewhere, I'm not sure the date, but somewhere in that six-date run, he did an in-store appearance as Sam the Record Man. And I went to see him there too. So that was amazing because I, I skipped school, right? And I went down <laughs> I went down really early and like, there's not a lot of fans like that would, you know, hardcore fans that would do that. There was a bunch of us, but not many. So I was able to get really close and have a, a great experience meeting him and seeing that show during that run. Following that, I saw him, this is a, a weird show, but he played the Sky Dome, which is our big, uh, you know, baseball stadium here in Toronto.
1: Where the uh, Blue Jays play.
0: Yeah. Now this was a Simon and Garfunkel show with Gordon Lightfoot, playing before Simon and Garfunkel and then Blue Rodeo, who are a local Toronto band, great band, kind of roots rock kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, country stuff. They opened up first. So it was it was Blue Rodeo, Gordon Lightfoot in the middle, and then Simon and Garfunkel. So, you know, oh, it was wow. a fun show, but it, it was odd to see Lightfoot at the Skydome, right? The sound was terrible in those big stadiums, right? But, you know, it was, it was interesting to see. Uh, I saw him twice again in, in 95. He came back for another six-show run. I saw two of those shows. He played Massey Hall again in 98. I saw one of those shows. I saw him in 2005, 2009. Uh, I might be forgetting a couple in there. And then the last time I saw him was 2019 at Massey Hall. They just refurbished Massey Hall. So they closed it down for about two or three years to kind of build it back up, update it, bring it into the 21st century kind of thing. So the last run of shows before they closed it down was Gorge. So I figured, you know, I had to go check it out. So that was the last time I saw him.
1: And of course, he was the first act to open once they'd finished the refurbishment, Absolutely. which I think yeah. is, you know, very appropriate. Was there one show that particularly stands out to you among those nine or 10? Or did the first one really just capture it all for you?
0: Like any of those Massey Hall shows are just fantastic. I mean, yeah. he would do two sets, two hour long sets, take a break in between for 15 minutes. And he would switch about 10 songs night to night. So, if you're, if you're, I was collecting tapes and bootlegs back then, then I was actually making the bootlegs myself with a pocket recorder. So, I can't really pick a best Massey Hall show. Obviously, the Skydome show was wacky. But uh, if I had to pick one show, just being that close and, and intimate at Sam the Record Man, that record store where he did a signing and he actually played like five songs with Terry Clements on acoustic guitar and Rick Haynes on bass, just a trio. They did like, a, like you know, a couple of songs off uh, Waiting for You and then a couple of classics, I think. But, you know, I was literally like <laughs> three feet away from the guy and not hearing him coming from the speakers, the, the PA speakers, but hearing his voice just like because he was so close to me was incredible.
1: And that was in the record store.
0: In the record store amongst oh, the wow. the records and the shelves and stuff like that. Right. I got a few pictures. It's great. You know,
1: Did you have a chance to meet him after that?
0: I did. I lined up and what did I bring? I had a, a song book i got him to sign i got him to sign my summertime dream record uh i shook his hand i got a picture with him you know wow. <laughs> so he's was so savvy. gracious uh, he's so, so sweet.
1: gracious with his fans he used to do these long meet and greets you know and he'd do the sam the record man appearances and he could have chosen not to do that but the fact that he does i mean says volumes about the guy
0: i met him again a few years ago when the lightfoot book came out that book that came out he did an in-store signing with the author. So he did an in-store signing with the author and Gord there. So I lined up to meet him there. And I was able to say, you know, Gord, I I love you. You know, you're a national treasure. I'm proud to be Canadian. And I can't wait to see you at Massey Hall. This was before I was going to see that 2019 Massey Hall show. So that was a thrill, you know, and he shook my hand and he's really, I don't know, he's just (laughs) so personable and so nice. And you could tell he was really listening to what I said and he appreciated my words and it was a great moment.
1: That's amazing. That is so cool. Well, today we're talking about Race Among the Ruins from the Summertime Dream album, which came out in 1976. The single was released from that album a little bit later. We'll talk about that in a second or two. The reason that I really like this song is that it's an upbeat song, which befits that record. It was the first track on that album, at least on the LP. It's got some really insightful lyrics and also some mysterious lyrics, and we'll kick those around a little bit. And he really gets creative with the melody. I mean, he strings together some notes and some lyrics in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect to happen in a folk song. So he really does some creative stuff with the music without breaking up the overall format. That's why it speaks to me. Why did you want to talk about it today?
0: A couple of reasons, the lyrics, like you mentioned, I love the lyrics. I love the fact of, uh, you know... You got you to gotta get past your hardships, like whatever this song is about. If it's about a relationship, if it's about a drug addiction, a mental illness, it's just about getting past whatever burdens you kind of thing. I, I love that kind of sentiment to the lyrics. And musically, I love the kind of groove to it. I love that kind of stomp to a lot of these Gordon Lightfoot songs in the 70s, right? Not really country songs, not really folk songs, but it kind of moved in and out there, right? There's a little bit of a stomp to it, good drive to it. The acoustic guitar on it is great. What a great band he had, right? The way him and Terry would play with the guitar parts weaving in, in back and forth. You know, Terry Clements has got like this kind of phaser effect on his electric guitar, which really works well with chords. 12 string. The drums are great on it. You know, Barry Keane, those little tom fills, very simple, but they're just placed perfectly and they just really transition section to section. And yeah, it's just the production on it. It's got that 70s sound and just the nostalgic part of the song, right? This is a song that you know, growing up on that record my dad had, I would hear this so many times, right?
1: <laughs> we'll be right back to our conversation with Lee McCormick about Race Among the Ruins. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners.
0: Welcome to Books Boys.
1: Every month, the Dean and PJ tell you all about the books they've been reading and make some recommendations from our old favorites. Plus surprise call-ins from authors to talk about the works that they're writing, original music, prize giveaways, and more. That's BooksBoys
0: on BooksBoys.com and all good podcatchers. Boys, Get it.
1: Buy it. Books.
0: One thing I'll mention about, uh, you know, the way my dad would play these records for me is he would say, uh, you know, you can't just hear it, you have to, you have to listen to it. So he would, he would kind of put uh, pillows on the floor, and he would say, I want you to lay down on the floor, and he would mm-hmm. put headphones on, right? Close your eyes, listen to this music, and put the headphones on. So I would do that, and I would just take me away with the music, the melody, the lyrics, right? and yeah, It's just great stuff. Like you mentioned, his vocal, the way you would pick different melodies and stuff like that great singer right like his background he's coming from uh like choirs right his first gig at massey hall was as a young kid singing in a choir right right so his vocal stuff is great you listen to the uh, background vocals on this track it sounds like like three-part harmony of him singing with himself i was looking through my uh my apple music library here i, got, I have like six or seven versions of race among the ruins a couple of live versions so you hear the the studio version on Summertime Dream, the, the background vocals are great, right? But you hear a live version from that same year, and uh, Rick Haynes would do the uh, background vocals, I think. Oh,
1: okay. That's <laughs> so he's cool. The-
0: He's not as polished as Gord, right? So you hear this live version and it's, uh, when you wake up in the morning, dream will come in true, right? It's, it's kind of wacky, but it's cool, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lightfoot is not known for doing duets with anybody. And I don't know if he's had that many backing singers on any of his performances. So to hear Haynes doing that is kind of cool. Now, before we get into <clears throat> the song, you being a drummer, I wanted to make a little side trip here. He's played with Barry Keane fairly consistently, but Jim Gordon also did some recordings with Lightfoot. And I'm I guess what I'm wondering is, you being a drummer, do you notice a particular tendency or characteristic of Jim Gordon's drumming versus Barry Keane's drumming or are they pretty much indistinguishable?
0: They're almost indistinguishable it sounds like barry Keane is almost trying to play like jim gordon jim gordon came first i think right barry yes, Keane yeah. showed up up around i think around this album it might have been his first record with gordon was he on what's the one before this uh like bold dance records maybe or cold on the shoulder he might have been on cold on the shoulder anyway jim gordon i think came with the warner brothers record deal uh, uh lenny Warrenker, he was the producer and yeah. he worked with jim gordon a lot on other records right so jim gordon played with lenny a lot And he was brought in to work with Gord. He's on Sundown, that great drum track. Jim Gordon's got a bit of a crazy story. If you want to do a little backstory on him. Yeah. His his life is a little wacky, but a great drummer, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Jim Gordon was there first. That's absolutely right. right. I guess what I'm saying is that Barry Keene, for reasons we won't go into right now, really became part of the Lightfoot family, so to speak.
0: Especially the live stuff, right? So Barry was there for all the live gigs because Jim wasn't really a regular... Touring drummer. He was a session guy. He would play on records, but not really a touring guy. So, as soon as Lightfoot started going with the touring, he needed a regular touring band. So, Barry Keene has played with them since then 75, 76, right?
1: So, do you have a special anecdote or something personal about what Race Among the Ruins means? I mean, you talked about your dad kind of turning you on to Lightfoot's music. And as I said, this is the first cut on that album. But is there something beyond that for you that really hits home?
0: Nothing special to think of. That title, Race Among the Ruins, I love because it's very open to interpretation. Like, what is a race among the ruins? Is it a metaphor for life, right? What are the ruins then? If if the race is life, what are the ruins? Uh, I look at it as the ruins are those parts of your life that are bad, you know, problems, bad relationships, things that you have to move past, right? Hurdles in your life, the struggles that you have to get past, right? There's that line, uh, if you plan to change tomorrow, do it soon kind of thing, right? Yeah, so that like those lines is just uh, you know that chorus really hits me. So yeah, just that song, the title "Race Among the Ruins," and like I said, the music stuff. Like the music is just as important to me as the lyrics It gives me a feeling. It just brings me back to the, that the '70s feel. You know, kicking off that record, "Summertime Dream," one of my favorite records. I love every song on this album, right? So uh, it's just it's just a big part of that record, a part of my childhood, a part of me. This song is. I love it. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What would be your ideal setting for listening to this, whether it would be on the floor at your parents' house or at midnight with no one else around or anything in between? Is there a particular time of day, activity, location that you would, this is where I ideally would want to listen to the song?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, music is so important to me. I take it wherever I go. So Mm -hmm. immediately it comes to mind, you know, laying on the floor with a pillow, headphones on, right? production on these Lightfoot records are so good they're they're made for headphones right especially the 70s stuff. You put on a vinyl record and you hear those those nice warm pop and crackles right and you put the headphones on yeah. <laughs> right and something about closing your eyes lying down it just brings it to another level right so i gotta say that but you know another thing i love to do is i'll put music on my my headphones, my iPod, and I'll I'll just go off for a bike ride. I live down by the lakes here, right? So just going mm-hmm. off into the wilderness with a, a Gordon Lightfoot playlist is just perfect, especially in Canada. Right. Oh, we're yeah. we're here we're here down by the lake. We got trees, we got rocks, we got squirrels and bunnies, rabbit running running back and forth and I got Gordon Lightfoot in my head, right? So it's just a perfect thing. Even like uh going fishing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. fishing chips with my father and we would listen to Gordon Lightfoot, that kind of stuff. Right. So <laughs> campfires, that- you know.
1: Fantastic. No, you can't beat it. And you are in a perfect place to appreciate his music. Mm So,
0: yeah, like some of the stuff he's singing about, I know where that is, right? He he name drops places. I'm like, I know where that is, right?
1: Well, I mean, I would think about Christian Island. A lot of people who are familiar with that part of Canada would think, yep, I know exactly where that is. Absolutely. Or even people who live on the Great Lakes, whether you're on the American or the Canadian side, when they hear the wreck. You know, Whitefish Bay, I know where that is. You know, what are the steel firms that he concluded the terms with? You know, things like that. Now, the song itself, according to Jennings, it was his latest poetic take on a tumultuously romantic life. The audience loved it. Lightfoot songs always take listeners on a journey, drawing them into stories rich in emotion and without a trace of artifice. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Gord has said, that the song is really about apartment hopping and having affairs. Do you get the sense that that's what this is about?
0: I mean, it could be. I think the, the, a good songwriter leaves it open to interpretation, right? So you could put this is about relationships and, and moving on from relationships. It could be also, like I said, it could be about a, a, a drug addiction. It could be about a, a relationship with a friend. It could be with a, a job, right? It's open to interpretation. Right, and I think that's where some of the brilliance is with Lightfoot. He's able to weave beautiful words together that sound good, great melodies. But then, you know, it, there's a deep meaning to it. But it's not personal to him. He can kind of let it go out to the audience. You can interpret it this way, and I, I think that's one of these songs. Right, you can, you can interpret it any way. A race among the ruins could be whatever that means to you. You know,
1: and that's what we're going to talk about starting right now. Is we're going to look at the lyrics a little bit. You think you had the last laugh? Now you know this can't be true. And it seems like whomever he's speaking to, whether he's speaking to himself or he's speaking to another person, he's saying, hey, whoever you are, you're in denial about the ending of whatever this is. Either the end of this relationship or the end of this thing that you treasured really intensely. You think you had the last laugh, but you know that there's going to be more to it than that. Even though the sun shines down upon you now, sometimes you must feel blue. There's some reality you don't want to face, or maybe it just hasn't hit you yet. Mm -hmm. You know, that something has changed and it's going to smack you in the face sooner or later. You make the best of each new day. You try not to be sad. Even though the sky falls down upon you, call it midnight, feeling bad. And now he's kind of advising whoever the song is directed to, to not be overwhelmed by the past. So it's kind of a contrast to what he said in the previous stanza. So he's kind of saying, you haven't quite faced this yet, but don't get caught up in it.
0: Yeah. We're talking about, you know, things are going good. You're happy, but, you know, a part of you is not because, you know, you have an understanding of the the yin and yang, the push and pull of life, right? One minute you're up, one minute you're down. If you start thinking that you're always going to be up, you're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. Right? You're going to hit a pitfall at some point. But he's saying there in the second part of it, when that comes, don't worry about it because we all got to get through this path, this part. Right. So you don't get hung up on that. and You kind of got to leave that behind. And I'm getting ahead of myself here because that's coming up. But, you know, leave the bad behind and focus on the good. Just keep going. Yeah, you know, especially when it kicks into the chorus after that.
1: Which is where we're going right now. Yeah. Yeah. When you wake up to the promise of your dream world coming true, and I wonder as I'm listening to this and I'm reading it, is it even possible that the dream he's talking about can come true, even though there's this promise that it's going to come true? Is that going to ever happen? And what is this person's dream world? I mean, if the dream world is that it's all going to be just endless bliss and an endless high or an endless romantic affair or endless sexual gratification i mean we know that that's not real Mm -hmm. so it makes me wonder what the dream world is like do you have any thoughts on that
0: it's like one of those things where you're saying whatever your dream world is whatever you envision to be the perfect utopia for you it's you're probably not going to reach that height you know it's not going to come true so you have to be uh you have to dream but you have to be realistic i think he's saying too right like don't don't get a too hung up on this dream because when the bottom falls out you're going to fall harder unless you have this kind of realization <laughs> yeah. that you know it's maybe not it's it, there could be a, a trap door in there for me you know through the turmoil leaving that bad behind but like i said the, the race referring to life the ruins referring to the, the stuff you got to leave behind taking the good parts of those relationships and moving forward with that and leaving the bad parts behind
1: yeah exactly We'll be right back to our conversation with Lee McCormick about Race Among the Ruins. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Hello, my name is Sandro. And my name's Zach. We are historians. Well, movie historians. We're not qualified for anything
0: else. Join us on our podcast Oldie But a Goodie where for
1: all of 2022 we're reviewing movies from the year 2001. That's right. Every episode we look at all the movies that came out that week back in 2001, then we pick one film and we do a full synopsis review. It's it's oldie but a goodie. Sometimes m- most of the time we find bad movies. It's usually a fun time but also usually one of us ends up pulling our hair out by the end of the episode. And we have a lot of hair between- us. what a selling point for the trailer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought i was pretty excited oldie but a goodie listen now wherever you get your podcasts
0: oh, that's not kind of productions podcast
1: with one less friend to call on was it someone that i knew and I thought there's some irony here. I mean, if Lightfoot is talking about himself in the song, he's moved on from another relationship. He's burned another woman. He's left somebody behind who's probably pissed off at him in some extent. OK, one less friend to call on. Was it someone that I knew? And I'm just thinking, uh, yeah, Gord, if you're talking about yourself, it probably was somebody you knew. Away we will go sailing in a race among the ruins. And I think, Lee, you really hit it because you said the ruins are kind of the bits and pieces of ourselves that we leave behind somewhere after people change, after relationships end. And then we race through them because they're painful memories. I mean, we don't want to think about, I could have done this. I should have done that. That was great. And I'll never recapture it. So the race among the ruins is just trying to make short work of your past, you know, and really just focus on what's ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You think I'm right on with that?
0: Absolutely. Right on. Yeah. Leaving the bad behind, focusing on the good and don't let it kind of slow you down. You, you got to keep living, right? You got to man up. And you mentioned that he says the song's about apartment hopping. You think about where he was in his life. He'd just been divorced and he's had about two or three years of Dating Kathy Smith, and that didn't go well, right? He got a great song out of it, right?
1: Mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: And he talks about in that book about he's, he's living in an apartment, right? He had to sell his house, or his kids were living in the house still with his wife, and he was in this apartment, you know? And so he's, he's realizing, you know, what am I living here? Where am I going? I got to leave these bad things behind, and I got to, you know, pick it up. Life is yeah. short.
1: Pick it up, exactly. And we'll get to the whole idea of life being short pretty soon, too. If you plan to face tomorrow, do it soon. And he's either talking to someone who's suffered a loss and he's trying to get this guy back to reality, just saying, Hey, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Okay. No matter how you're feeling, or maybe he's telling himself, look, you better change this running around that you're doing, you know, leave that sort of promiscuity around. Okay. You're going to keep getting burned. I think this is my favorite line in the whole song. If you plan to face tomorrow, do it soon. I mean, it's bumper sticker material, but it's great bumper sticker material.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: The road to love is littered by the bones of other ones who, by the magic of the moment, were mysteriously undone. And what he's saying here is that everybody has made a fool of themselves when they're in love. When you Mm -hmm. get to be a certain age, you've had a couple of heartbreaks. At one point, someone that you've been in love with has made you look like a complete and utter jackass. And yeah. I think Bob Dylan said it best. He said, you can't be wise and in love at the same time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you get to a certain age and I've been there myself. Sometimes you you get you no know, breakup and you're like, I have no idea what happened. <laughs> yeah. People like, you know, divorces, they separate. I don't know. We were so happy that I just don't know what happened. Right. That's the, like a that line mysteriously undone. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the relationship became undone, but we don't know why.
1: <laughs> right? yeah, you can't or, understand it. or you can't, in, at least in the moment, you can't understand it.
0: You can't see it from, from your vantage point. Right? right. You
1: don't have enough perspective on it. Right. You try to understand it, but you never seem to find any kind of freedom coming clean is just another state of mind. This is a tough one for me. Um, I have a hard time understanding this. Do You have any thoughts on that stanza?
0: Yeah. What's he talking about there? Any kind of freedom coming clean is just another state of mind, right? So if you're trying to get free from this relationship, you have to be in another state of mind to do it because where you're at right now, you can't see it. So if you Mm want to get some freedom, if you want to be clear of all this, you have to kind of go to a new place, understand what's happened so you can see it. You can't you can't see it, the big picture. You can't get that freedom right now because you're in you're into it. You're involved in this this relationship that's in turmoil kind of thing, right?
1: So you need to get some distance, which is another way of saying move on. Yeah. Yeah. You're
0: trying uh-huh. to understand it. You're trying to get free from all this, but you know, it's another state of mind. You're not in that state of mind yet. That's like step four or something like that, right? You're not there yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. I mean, that's a good 12-step reference yeah. there. Yeah, 12 I like steps
0: of uh, breakups Or are... hey, There you go. <laughs> yeah. okay.
1: Well, or the, what were the five stages of grief, you know, which is- uh, Yeah, something like that. Uh, denial, anger, Angry. bargaining, depression, and acceptance, if yeah. I remember those right.
0: There's and gotta then, be a few more for a, a relationship gone bad, I would think, you know. <laughs>
1: so, well, probably, or extending them, you know, mm-hmm. it takes a while. And then the chorus, and then, So take the best of all that's left. You know, this cannot last. So you only get one life. The negative feelings will not last forever, but your time on this earth is also not going to last forever. He doesn't want to say it as bluntly as get on with it, but he is basically saying to quote the Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. Even though your mother was your maker, from her apron strings, you pass. And this is kind of a gentle way of reminding the listener, you have to grow up. You're not a kid anymore. And you Mm -hmm. have what it takes to move on from this or to move forward. You don't need to go crying to mom or to dad or to whomever raised you saying, you have it within you. And so it's kind of a vote of confidence to the listener, don't you think?
0: Yeah. And I like that. Uh, reference the apron strings like the little toddler pulling at her mother's apron strings like can i have a drink and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what i look at it, right you pass through that you're not there anymore you you're you you got to be a man man up right?
1: <laughs> yeah or be who you are w- when you are right now okay you're not mm-hmm. a kid anymore just think about the fool who by his virtue can be found in a most unusual situation playing jester to the clown I mean, this is stuff that I think even Dylan would look at and say, wow, where did he come up with that? It's beautiful poetry, but I have no idea what it means. So Lee, what do you think?
0: Oh yeah, this is a tough one too. Think about the fool whose virtue can be found, right? This guy's a fool and because he's acting this way, he's put himself in this situation, which is most unusual because he's playing fool to another fool kind of thing, right? So whoever he's in this relationship with, they're a fool as well, and they've turned in whom to a fool. So you got, you know, jester to the clown. You got a fool's fool kind of thing. That's the way I kind of look at it, right? This guy's in the situation because, you know, he's not thinking straight. He's the fool, the fool to the fool.
1: Well, you know, something I just thought of, Lee, is that he might be kind of stepping out of himself I mean, he might be saying, okay, look at me. Okay. I've been through this. I was a clown or I was a jester. I was a fool myself. And look at me. I made it through. Okay.
0: Yeah, just yeah. think about all these other people who have gone through the same thing that you're going through, right? Yeah. They've played the fool themselves and they've moved on. So don't think that you're the only one, right?
1: Yeah, but it's beautiful, beautiful poetry. You know, just great job there.
0: And the way and, he sings it too, is, and it's the melody. That's the, that's the one part of the song too, where he doubles himself. The background vocals come in, right? There's background vocals on the chorus, but the verses are quite empty. He comes in with background vocals on those final two lines of that last verse.
1: Okay, so it's kind of this idea that he is echoing. Maybe he's talking to himself, but it's definitely a two-way thing going on. He's not just speaking out to you haven't the biggest idea what. I mean, now there's it's implied that there's somebody else in this conversation, right? Right, yeah. And then the chorus twice and then out. The song was on Summertime Dream originally. That was his 12th album. Uh, it was the first track on the record, like we've said. And then... Lightfoot re-recorded it in nineteen eighty-eight for Gord's Gold Two. And I've never listened to the two back to back. Have you?
0: Yeah, and I just did prior to us speaking. And the the Gord's Gold volume two is is awful.
1: (laughs) It's terrible. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean the song is great. You know, it's the same song. They're just playing the same song. So the song's great, but the production is just awful. It's 1988 production. So you listen to the 76 version, it sounds amazing. Right, like I said, you got Terry Clempins. This has got some uh, little phaser effect on his guitar. The pedal steel uh, is is great. The pedal steel, we haven't really talked about much, but that's a really a big part of that Lightfoot sound that I love. You know, Pee Wee playing a lot on the, the original track. On the, yeah. the re-record, it's not there. You got Mike Heffernan playing keyboards and it's, it pales in comparison, right? You listen to the drums on the, the 76 version. It's very dry sounding drums, sound like they're in a, a room with you, right? You listen to the 88 version, It's all this reverb and effect on the drums. It's it's too shiny, you know? Lightfoot music shouldn't be shiny, right? Like that record, uh, East of Midnight, that David Foster produced, some good songs on it, but the production is like wrong for Lightfoot. Lightfoot's gotta be rooty, earthy, gotta have some wood on that song, right? So, uh, you know, I definitely prefer the, uh, the 76 version.
1: We'll be right back to our conversation with Lee McCormick about Race Among the Ruins. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Hi, this is Audie Martello, the host of the Mostly Folk podcast, a 60-minute foray into the music we all love. You will hear newly released albums, classic folk, country, and bluegrass music, as well as some traditional music. That may or may not be true to the genre. Sometimes irreverent, often opinionated, but always entertaining. You may even hear a radio magic trick every so often. As well as numerous interviews via Zoom and telephone with established as well as indie artists. Mostly Folk is available wherever you listen to podcasts and always at mostlyfolk.org. Yeah, the thing that I noticed about a lot of songs that came out in the 80s that you're talking about, and particularly 86, 87, 88, maybe a little bit of 89, machines were making most of the music. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a great story about McCartney hanging out with some musicians in the recording studio, not in the studio, but in the green room or something. And one of them gets up and says, oh, it's time for me to go do my part. Okay. And he disappears and he comes back five minutes later. And currently said, oh wow, you must have gotten the take and you know got it in one take. You're something like, that. oh no, I just I got up, lifted up the bass and I just went dunk. That was it, just dunk. Okay, and the the machines were going to bend the rest of it so that the overall effect is that it's too polished. And I think that's what you're talking about with the re-recording on Gord's Gold too, that it's too seamless, it's too finely yeah. crafted. There's no spontaneity to it. It's too yeah, contrived is the word I'm looking for.
0: Yeah. And they're trying to compete with what's on the radio. Lightfoot's looking at maybe get some of his old songs on the radio. And that's what everything sounded like. So I can see why they went that way. But, you know, in hindsight, it was it was a mistake. You look at Gord's uh, Gold, the original version where he did re-records, and he he actually improved some of those uh, older songs by, yeah. by re-recording them. But it's uh, the, the opposite effect on, on this version, the Gold's Gold yeah. form too.
1: A lot of people I've talked to have said, why did he do that? The songs for the second greatest hits were fine as the way they are. Why didn't he just take that? There were probably some very complicated reasons for it, which we won't go into right now, but it was what it was. The people who played on this, we've named pretty much all of them here. Lightfoot was playing six and 12 string. Of course, he was doing the vocals. Terry Clements was playing lead acoustic and electric guitars. Pee Wee was playing pedal steel. Rick Haynes playing bass, and you said he, in some live versions, he'll do a sort of backing vocal or a harmony. And then Barry Keane was playing drums. So this is pretty well established territory for Gordon in Sundown, Cold on the Shoulder, Summertime Dream, and maybe even Into Endless Wire by that time. I mean, his accompaniment is pretty well knit together at that point. The song has been played only. I found this kind of interesting. I mean, it came out in 76 and then was released as a single in 77. It's only been played 64 times in concert that I could find. The first time was in June of 76 at the Montreux Jazz Festival. And I've been to Montreux and I've been in that room and it's a great, you know, room to perform. If you've never been there, I mean, it's, I hope you get a chance to perform in there because it's just an amazing room. While he was promoting the Summertime Dream album. He did play it on the Rolling Thunder review they had at some venue in Toronto, and I can't remember the name of it. It was I don't think it was Massey Hall, uh, but it was some other. Maybe it was the Sky Dome. I can't remember. Yeah,
0: that, was, that was that was the uh, that was the Dylan show that he, he joined. Correct. For. Yeah, that Correct. would have been Maple, Maple Leaf Gardens.
1: There out, it is. Thank out. you. Yeah, Maple Leaf Gardens. That's yeah, the, the hockey arena. There. Mm-hmm. You. Yeah, and his set was right before Dylan's set and right after Joan Baez's set, if I'm not mistaken and then the most recent performance of it was at Elkhart Indiana at the Lerner Theater and that was on May 21st of this year and i'm sure he's still doing it on the current tour so i'm sure he's still doing it you mentioned that you saw him in did you say 93 yeah okay did he play that him. song on the, at that show
0: i can't remember i'd have to check mike i have the bootleg upstairs that i the, the cassette that i made that night i could i could check i know i've seen it live a few times he did an El a club show during the COVID pandemic there. It was that? Right. December 2020, he did it. And it was like a no audience show. And he did about 20 songs. And he did it that night. That was great. Yeah, I know I've seen it live a few times. Not every time. I know I've seen that one a few times and House You Live In a few times. A few shows, he would do either that one or that one, that one or that one. I'd love both those songs off that record.
1: Yeah. And we are going to do the House You Live In at some point, you know, in the show, probably next season. But I think it's interesting. It's such a great song. It was released as a single. I'll talk about how it went in just a minute. He played it seven times in the 70s, 14 times in the 80s, twice in the 90s, and he didn't play it at all between 2000 and 2010. He played it 27 times in the 2010s, and he's played it 15 times so far this decade. Makes me wonder is that more of a statement that he has just so many great songs to? pick from or do you think maybe he just got tired of playing that tune because i could listen to that thing all day
0: yeah i imagine it's probably both i'm wondering how accurate that is too right because he played probably so many times and people weren't recording set lists all the time right no. and that, and all the songs he would play like the one thing that's the one thing about Lightfoot too he doesn't just play the hits he'll go into like a lot of deep cuts Right. And he'll drop songs. He'll just get tired of them. Uh like he, he hates uh For Loving Me, he'll never play that song again. That exactly. Song. Yes. He despises mm-hmm. that. And he hasn't played Canadian Railroad trilogy in a long time. I don't know why. I think that's an ult- one of the ultimate songs. Maybe just too much for him. He's tired of it. But that one he doesn't pull it anymore. I don't know. It's it's what the artist feels like, you know.
1: Oh, totally. And it's his show. I mean, he can do whatever yeah. he wants. And, and the
0: other thing too, I'll, I'll mention quick, Mike, is uh, being a songwriter myself, maybe it's a little bit too personal for him too. And sometimes he just doesn't want to go through those emotions on stage, right? There are a few songs like that. Sometimes he's just its too personal.
1: Yeah. As a songwriter myself, I mean, I can certainly appreciate that. There are some things that are in my catalog, and I haven't been an active performer in quite a while, but there are some things that I've written that I'm thinking, this is making me uncomfortable in Mm -hmm. some way. Okay, either it's cutting too close to the bone or it was too juvenile or it just doesn't fit the person I am right now. So I'm just not going to do it. Like if I were in an open mic or something like that, I just wouldn't do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The song did get released as a single, which is one of the reasons that I was kind of surprised he hasn't played it as much. It's the third single from the album, the title track and... Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald were the first two singles. And then the third one was Race Among the Ruins. That was released as a single in February of 77. And it did very well. In Canada, it went to 30 on the RPM charts, 11 on the adult contemporary charts, and then 14 on the Canadian country charts. 65 on the Billboard Hot 100, 13 in U.S. Adult Contemporary. It did not chart as a single in either the U.K. or Australia. And usually Lightfoot's done pretty well in Australia, not terribly well in the U.K. The album went to number one in Canada, 12 in the U.S., and 63 in Australia. So it did show that Lightfoot had some staying power after sundown. He was still kind of walking on water at this point.
0: Yeah, this is the peak as far as I'm concerned, Lightfoot, the, the mid-70s, you know, coming off of uh Sundown, Gord's Gold with those re-records, which were just phenomenal, and then putting out Summertime Dream with the Wreck of the Emmett Fitzgerald and these songs. Like that's that's kind of the peak, uh Lightfoot for me, you know, this era. Could do no wrong. It was a great live show too. This is when my, my father saw him live in the 70s, you know, and yeah, he was just great, you know. He looked cool, he had the denim shirts, he had the mustache going, the, the little beard, you know. <laughs> He's, he's drinking a little bit, so he's a little wild. You know, he's a little crazy, smoking cigarettes. He kind of had that kind of whiskey saloon bar country kind of vibe outlaw. Not an outlaw, but you know, kind of he would fit in there with Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson and that kind of scene. You know,
1: <laughs> I think he would have fit into the Highwaymen, honestly. And yeah. if they had, if the if the timing had been different on all of that, it's been covered by two artists that I could find. And I'm not talking about people who you know have just put stuff up on YouTube. Barbara J, whose real name I think is Barbara Williams. And then there was something called the Internet Tribute. And if there have been other covers, I don't know about them. Have you found any?
0: No, I'm not aware of those covers or any others.
1: But I'm not sure they'd be as good as the original, no matter what you did with them.
0: Yeah, I doubt it.
1: Yeah. Okay. well, Lee, as we're wrapping up here, who would you like to hear cover this song from modern music? Or is it one of those who just know nobody could do it justice? Let's just leave it alone
0: um uh, i like to hear myself cover it <laughs>
1: <laughs> well that's a modest answer <laughs>
0: yeah well you know i played a few uh gordon lightfoot songs live and i've recorded a few this is one that i would uh, bust out live mm-hmm. uh, i'm gonna say steve Earle though i love steve Earle, and i think steve Earle will do a, a great version of this i saw him do a live version of sundown which was great and i know he's a big admirer of of, of Gord. there's a little passage in the lightfoot book where steve Earle just kind of went up to gordon lightfoot's door and he kind of just knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm Steve Ruhle. I just wanted to meet you. So he kind of had a little moment there kind of thing because he had so much respect for him. So, you know, I'd love to hear Steve take a shot at this one.
1: That'd be fun. I'd like to hear Vince Gill try it because it does have some suggestions of a country song. And I know Vince Gill is now with the Eagles, but he did begin, you know, with Pure Prairie League, you know, and that sort of country rock flavor to it. I wouldn't mind hearing Garth Brooks take a shot, and then I'd kind of like to hear Neil Young do it. And Neil Young's not known for singing other people's words, but he is somebody that I think has a feel for it. And that's not simply because he's Canadian. I think he would have an affinity for this kind of song.
0: Yeah, Neil would do it good for sure. He does everything good. He's so awesome. But that one record he did, he covered two Lightfoot songs on it a while ago. Uh, A Letter Home, do you know that? Record by Neil Young? Uh,
1: I think I heard a bit of that on the documentary.
0: Yeah, that's the one he did with Jack White, where it's recorded in like a, it's like a telephone booth where back in the day, soldiers would go on this telephone booth and they record like an audio message to be sent home. So Neil Young recorded an album all from this booth. So it has kind of that old timey, Mm -hmm. (laughs) scratchy kind of audio sound to it. And it's it's all kind of covers, right? All solo acoustic. And he does, uh, if you could read my mind, and Early Morning Rain on that record. I've heard
1: him do Early Morning Rain, and he does a pretty good job on it, although I still think Gord can sing that song better than anybody. Absolutely, uh, yeah. But I'd like to hear Neil try that one. Okay, Lee, so here's our cumulative question. Let's say Gord is playing at Massey, and you get to decide what the opening song of the opening set is going to be. What song are you going to choose? <sighs> it's
0: a tough one. Um... You know, the first thing that comes to mind is Rich Man's Spiritual because it's the first song on the first record. And I kind of love stuff like that. It's the first song on the first record. I'm going to open the show with it, right? That would be cool. I love the way I feel. I don't think I've ever seen him play that live. He doesn't play that live often. I think that would be a cool song to open with. Do you know the song Moving?
1: I've heard it. Yeah.
0: Moving was never released on a record. It came out for like a CBC show. Mm-hmm. and he did this song called moving it's you can see it find it on youtube but that's a cool song so something like that would be neat all right what we're gonna go with mike is uh bend in the water the first yeah. track off of cold on the shoulder so with that guitar part with the bass drum, that's uh, i think that would be a great song to kick off the show and it's got kind of a nice sing-along part uh, like Gore would say, a nice little toe tapper,
1: you get to go yeah. on her kind of thing, right? <laughs> he <laughs> he loves the water. that phrase. Yeah. yeah. Great <laughs> Lee McCormick, thank you so much. You know, I can tell that your enthusiasm is really infectious when we're talking about Lightfoot and I'd love to have you back on the show again soon.
0: Anytime, man. Pick a song. I'm there for you, Mike.
1: And thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com, and our Patreon page is www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Our next episode will be coming out on or about the last week of June, and my guest will be Donnie Scrooge, and he will be talking about Sea of Tranquility. Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time episode will be coming out on or about the last week of June, and my guest will be Donnie Scrooge, and he will be talking about Sea of Tranquility. Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell We'll see you next time. You think you have the last love, now you know this can't be true. Even though the sun shines down upon you now, sometimes you must feel blue. Make the best of each new day Try not to be sad Even though the sky